All right, in this Christmas season, we're continuing in this sermon series on wonder. And what a great reminder that we can be filled with wonder and it can transform every area of our lives. If you've missed any of these sermons so far in this sermon series, this being week three, afterwards, you can go to our YouTube channel and search for wonder and get caught up. But also know in the weeks ahead as we go through Christmas, we continue this sermon series. So if you have any travel coming up or you miss any of these Sundays, you can always load those in and listen along, follow along, worship along wherever you live and wherever you go. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter two? We're going through this Christmas season, taking a look at some of the famous texts of the birth of Christ. And I'm going to read for us Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, very famous passage. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Some of you have physical Bibles. Some of you access Scripture online. A great reminder, we have so many Bibles that we'd love to give to you. If you ever reach out to us, for example, if you go to belair.org forward slash connect and let us know that you'd like one of our pew Bibles, I'd love to write a handwritten note and mail it to you wherever you are in the world. But what a great reminder that as we access Scripture, this is God's Word for us. It's the living Word of God, and I pray that I'll just get out of the way, that God will speak to all of us on this day. This is Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room and no place for them in the inn. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word, as we say every week, thanks be to God. All right, this sermon is called Wonder in the Strain. And there's three things that I want us to take a look at in this passage and what that means for us today. The first is this, the strain that tears Second, the strain that triumphs. And third and finally, the choice before us. So first, the strain that tears. You know, it's interesting. I've been wearing this thing on my wrist. Uh, people walk up to me and say, what is that? What is that? A bracelet? Is it a watch? There's no screen. Uh, it's called a whoop. And uh, if you don't know what this is, uh, it's, it's a fitness tracker. And the reason why it doesn't have a screen is it keeps it nice and lightweight and all the technology is in the uh, area underneath the band. And my, my smartphone essentially is the screen. And I've been wearing this for the last two and a half years. And what it does is it, it tracks a number of things, your heart rate, your resting heart rate. It traces your uh, heart rate variability. It measures your body temperature. It measures a variety of things that also include your respiratory rate. And so when you wake up in the morning, you actually get a sense of how you slept the night before and how you recovered from your strain from the day before. It's really interesting. This, this word strain has been really on the, the forefront of my mind the last two years because every single day you get a score. Basically, it's called your strain score. And it's based upon uh, how 
hard your heart is working, whether that's exercising, uh, whether that's going on a walk, whether that's uh, doing you know, errands around town. Uh, there's been times where I've actually, I've gotten done preaching and it actually it's recorded an activity thinking that I've worked out and I'm just preaching. I guess my, my heart is raising up and I'm straining myself. But ultimately at the end of the day, if you have a higher strain, it gives a sense that you've accomplished something. Also, there are communities within WHOOP. You can join anonymously. You can join a group that, let's say is based in Los Angeles or New York. You might join a group that's based around an activity. You might join a private group with friends. And so it's this way in which you can encourage one another in getting healthy, in boosting your strain. And what's also interesting is that as people have gotten healthier and healthier, they've also adapted their habits to grow and to stretch. For me, I find myself drinking more water, drinking less alcohol, uh, dealing with stress in healthier ways, trying to eat in better ways, trying to get more sleep. In fact, in many ways, I found that just wearing this thing has brought an awareness to either the lack of strain that I've had before when I just sit on the couch, when I spend too much time at a desk working, but also increases my incentive, my motivation to get out there and to, to raise my heart. But here's what's interesting. I've noticed that as I've been training for different things, uh, there are certain things that have pushed me beyond my limits. In fact, as I've been training for a number of races, some of you know that I'm a long distance runner. I did a double crossing of the Grand Canyon. Uh, last year, I trained for a 50 kilometer race and I didn't spend much time training for it. And as I went into it, uh, I found that uh, my whoop told me what I already knew, I hadn't quite prepared for it. I hadn't quite trained enough. And so I went out there and I, and I ran the race. It was kind of like a couch to a 50 kilometer race up in the mountains. Uh, I'd weighed more than I'd ever weighed in my life at that point. And, and it was exhausting, it was overwhelming, and it took me like a month to recover because the strain was too much. As I find myself in this year training for my next 50 kilometer race, which I just wrapped up last week, I found myself uh, perhaps being in some of the best shape I've ever been in preparing for a race. However, as I was training a couple weeks ago, I was on a 20 mile run, I know it's crazy, but by the way, as I spend time out in the wilderness, out on these trails, it is such a great time with God where I feel like I can, I can have the space, I can have the margin to, to talk to God, to watch the sunrise, to, to remember that all of creation declares God's glory. And so for me, it's more than just exercise. It's a way in which I can commune with my creator. But the point is I was out on this 20 mile run and as I was straining through this run, feeling great, something happened. My heel began to hurt. And as I began to wrap up the last miles, that, that pain began to spread and to grow. And, and I couldn't quite understand what it was. It was an odd place, somewhere where I don't typically get blisters. And once I finally wrapped up those 20 miles in four hours, I got to the car. Uh, I, I sat on the edge of my seat in my car and I pulled off my shoes and pulled down my sock. And I saw that I had actually torn about an inch and a half section of my heel. The strain was too much for the stability, for the strength of my heel. And the strain went beyond what I was able to bear. And it literally, it tore 
my skin. Now, thankfully, it healed up in time. I have a friend who's a physician's assistant. They were able to glue it up in time for the race. But it's interesting. There are certain things in our life that strain actually grows us, makes us stronger. But there are certain things where the strain can become too much, where things begin to tear. I want you to think about the last two years that you've experienced in your life. I want you to think about the strain that circumstances have placed on you. Maybe it's a mental strain, maybe it's an emotional strain, maybe it's a physical strain, maybe it's a strain on a relationship, maybe it's a strain with a, a family member, maybe there's a financial strain that you've experienced in your life. Now, in some ways, we can bear the weight of the strain of certain things, but if you're like me, more than just a split heel, there's other things in our lives that can begin to, to tear, to tear our hope, to tear our joy, to tear our peace, to tear our, our, our security, to tear our confidence, to tear our humility. And in many ways, we live in a world where strain can not only bear down upon us and strain us, but it can begin to tear the very fabric of our, of our beings. And if you haven't experienced that level of strain in your life where things have begun to tour, I would say that at some point in your future, you're gonna experience that tear. That if you've been pursuing being in control all the time, that perhaps there's gonna be something in your future where you'll experience being out of control. If you, if you long for and if you strain for always being healthy, one day a doctor's gonna give you a diagnosis that you weren't expecting or you'll begin to experience a pain or an ache or a slowdown in your body. Or perhaps you've had a career that has just been flying high. Everything has been falling into place and you're on this roll, you're getting promoted, things are going your way, you have this reputation, you're building the resume. But I'm telling you, at some point down the way, there's going to be either a road bump, a detour, a gap. And when we begin to move through this life, every single human being that I've ever met, whether it be family or friends, people I counsel, we reach moments in our life where something strains upon us in such a way that it begins to tear. In my experience, human existence is filled with strain. And so as we find ourselves in this moment, in the middle of December, or if you watch this months or years later, this is a world that is filled with strain. In some ways, there's good strain where we can stretch and we can grow and we can work hard, but there are certain things where they reach a limit. One of the best definitions of strain that I've ever uh, encountered is this is when a force is placed on someone or something with such excessive force that it taxes the resources of that thing or that person. What an interesting definition of strain. You know, if there's just a lightweight, it doesn't really tax the resources of a thing or a person. You know, if I put a cotton ball on top of a car, it's not gonna strain the hood of that car. But if I put uh, an ocean liner on the hood 
of a car. It's going to strain so much that ultimately the resources, the stability, the strength of that car and the structure under that hood will, will break under the weight of that ocean liner. And I often think that as we move throughout life, that unless we have the strength within us, unless we have the resources within us, certain things will come into our life not as cotton balls, but as ocean liners. And we will not have the strength or the resiliency or the stability to bear that weight and the, the taxing force on our lives, on our emotions, on our heart, on our relationships will ultimately exceed the resources that we have within us and things will break, things will tear. You know, what's so interesting is you can actually look at the broken things of life and see it through this lens, but you can also look through the good things in life and see it through this lens as well. You know, as we move throughout life and let's say we fall into addiction, let's say we fall into uh, self-centeredness, if we fall into uh, a need of always being right, of always putting ourselves above other people, we can begin as we move, I'll say, against the grain of the universe as we move contrary to God's heart for God's creation, we can experience a strain on our emotional well-being in such a way that it begins to, to tear the fabric of our lives. And we see this throughout families. We see this throughout corporations. We see this in cities. We see this in churches. We see this in states. We see this in nations. We see this throughout the world. You can say, if you look at the world, that there's so much brokenness that is strained and torn the dignity of humanity, the relationships that people have, that there is a tearing of God's creation for how we perhaps uh, uh, pillage the earth. There's a tearing that happens from some of the brokenness, but also I see that there can be a tear that happens sometimes when we pursue the good things in our own strength. You know, recently I've been having a lot of pastoral counseling phone calls and meetings with people and I've seen this uh, recurring theme that's been popping up lately where people have moved out perhaps of a, a broken pattern of their life and they're really wanting to grow in their relationship with a, a spouse or really wanting to do well in work. And I find some people who have moved out of this brokenness into, let's say, a, a thriving way, they find themselves realizing that they have limits, that they can't always deliver as a boss to the level that they want, that they can't always consistently be the perfect husband or the perfect dad or the perfect daughter, that they aren't always a friend that, that shows up and has strength to give. And I found some people who are saying, you know, in this, in this season that we've gone through, I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm pouring myself out. I'm trying to volunteer. I'm trying to show up and I'm, I'm reaching a limit and I feel like my sanity is tearing. You know, what's so interesting is that when we try to do things in our own strength, even good things, even serving God in our own strength, even if we try to strain to love God and to love other people in our own strength, ultimately we, we fall under the weight of the pressure of this world and th ultimately things begin to tear. You know, what's interesting, you can also say that religion by definition puts a strain on you that will ultimately tear you apart. Now, you might think that's an odd thing to say coming from a pastor. But let me quickly say, if you don't know me, I am very anti-religion. 
And when I say religion, what I mean by that is human-made rules in order to get ahead, human-made rules in order to be loved by God, uh, a list of do's and don'ts that turns into legalism that makes you in and other people out. Uh, I want nothing to do with it. And I want nothing to do with it because I look at Jesus' life and it seems like Jesus wants nothing to do with it as well. It seems like Jesus is more uh, critical of the religious leaders of the day than anybody else. And there's this famous passage, the woes, as they are called. We're in Matthew 24. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And he says this about the Pharisees, the people who had been trying to strain their lives in order to fulfill the law of God, which on the surface sounds like a good thing, right? Wrong. Jesus says that they have become so about fulfilling the law in their own strength that they would be seen as righteous and others unrighteous that he says this. He says in verse 24 of Matthew 23, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and in doing so you swallow a camel. Now, I'm using strain by another definition here. You know, in the English language, we have words that have multiple definitions. I gave you the definition for strain previously, where there is an excessive force on something or someone that can tax its resources. But this strain that Jesus is referring to was a practice that was done in the first century by the religious leaders, ultimately to fulfill the law that was given to them in the book of Leviticus. Well, what was the law that was given to them? They were told to never ingest a winged insect. Kind of an odd thing. And I don't have time to get into purity laws and the point of Leviticus, but ultimately the Pharisees had lived their lives and ordered their lives in such a way where they were so obsessed with some of the most minutia of the law that they didn't want to swallow a gnat and thus disobey the Levitical law. And so they literally put a piece of cloth over their tea to strain out any winged insects. And so they would literally pour it through that cloth from the, the kettle, as it might be. And if there was any gnats that had made their way into that kettle for the tea, as they poured it through the cloth into their personal cup, those gnats would land on that cloth, not make it into the tea. They would take the cloth off. They'd be able to drink it. They put the cloth back on. And in doing so, they're filled with pride. And in doing so, they, they walked around saying, look at us, look at how good we are. Look at how perfect we are. Look at how much, look at how much we care about God's law that even down to the smallest gnat, we, we measure up. And Jesus says, you blind guides. You strain out a net, but you swallow a camel. What on earth is he saying? Do they go around eating camels? No. He's using powerful imagery here. In all the woes, he says, you're focusing on these small things, but you are forgetting the weightier matters of the law. You don't do justice. You don't extend mercy. You don't extend love. It has all become about religiosity that is removed from a relationship with God. And because of that, you've lost your heart for other people. You push the people on the margins further to the margins. And in doing so, you've, you've not swallowed a little gnat. 
but in comparison, you've swallowed a camel. The biggest beast they could have imagined in the first century in the Middle East. Jesus saying, in doing all of your straining, you've torn your relationship with God. And let me say it this way. If you live a life of religiosity, of straining to measure up, straining to be loved by God, straining to never miss a worship service, straining to pray a certain amount of times per day. If you do so, it's all in your own strength. And ultimately it will tear your peace because ultimately in the back of your mind, you'll wonder, have I measured up? Have I done enough? Does God really love me? Will I make it to the pearly gates? And I've spoken to so many people with different religious backgrounds, some of them from a Christian background or a Catholic background who have come to me and live with such guilt and such shame and such fear that they haven't measured up. And what a great reminder in this Christmas season that there is a strain that tears that isn't just the broken things of this world, but if you pursue religion, it's gonna tear. And what a great reminder in the great hymn, in Christ alone, there's this line that says, when strivings cease. Now I'll get in a moment to the strain that triumphs, but let me say that I've also talked to a lot of people from you know, different worldviews, people who have a, a Buddhist background, a Hindu background, a Muslim background. And in many ways, there is a consistency of the major world religions that is actually very different than the heart of Christianity. You know, Buddha's last words to his teachers and his students were, never stop striving. You know, at the heart of Buddhism is this a pursuit, this striving, this straining of living a life of self-control, of denying your desires, so that you can experience a deeper level of, of oneness, of communion, of enlightenment. But ultimately, at the end of the day, at the, at the root, at the foundation of Buddhism, isn't that Buddha would save you, it's that you would save you through your self-control, through your pursuit of squashing your desires. And Buddha, I've read his teachings. I was fascinated with Buddhism in college. And I continue to have friends who are Buddhists today and we have conversations about this. Buddha never said, I will save you. He says, no, you, you have to find the way to enlightenment and you need to strain, you need to strive, you need to exhibit self-control. At the end of the day, it is a form of religion. All the weight is on you. In many ways, Hinduism is very similar. In many ways, uh, Islam is very similar from a different angle, a different lens. But ultimately, uh, Muhammad, uh, the, the prophets, they don't say that there is salvation from one individual. They say that you have to measure up. You have to pray enough. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to have good karma so that you can be reincarnated better and better and, and avoid things that can cause bad karma. And ultimately, at the end of the day, there is a consistency in all of those worldviews that is religiosity at its core. It might look different on the surface, but at the depth of it, it is all based on your work. The heart of Christianity is infinitely different. 
And this text is the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ that reminds us that there is a different type of strain and it's a strain that triumphs. And when you look at the life of Jesus, it's a great reminder that Jesus didn't just live for 33 years on this planet and then died. It's a reminder that Jesus, in the fullness of our understanding of who he is, has always existed as part of the community of one that is the eternal Godhead, the Trinity. And a great reminder that God, in the fullness of the mystery and the majesty and the wonder and the splendor of God, is one being and yet three persons. And we might describe that God as God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son. And ultimately, though, God gave the law. The book of Romans says that not one person has ever measured up to the law, that we are of all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, that when we pursue straining towards fulfilling the law on our own, ultimately we get, we get torn in that pursuit. And the gift of the Christmas season is a reminder that God doesn't say, you better strain harder. The gift of the Christmas season isn't that you better strive harder. The gift of the Christmas season is that God says, let your striving cease and watch my striving, my straining that leads to triumph. As you go to Luke chapter two, the text that we read before, how interesting that they make their way all the way to Bethlehem. Think about the strain that was put on them. We have a, a pregnant woman, a, 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 a father who uh, they have not wed yet. The strain culturally, the shame culturally. Pastor Mike Morgan taught on that last week. Again, if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to go to a fantastic sermon on the wonder and the shame and what that means for us today. But they make this long journey from Galilee all the way, all the way to Bethlehem to return to their ancestral land. Think about the strain of first century travel infinitely more than the strain that we have today where we can hop in an Uber, drive our own car, take a bus, ride a train, take a plane. The strain that was involved in that. Think about the strain that Mary had in delivering her child. No, I've never given birth, but I've been present for my wife delivering our son. And the strain and the struggle that was involved with bringing that life into the world reminds me that, that women are so strong and they have an ability to do so much more than I could ever imagine I could ever do. And such strength and such love and such sacrifice to bring this life into the world, I can't even imagine what it was like for Mary in a foreign town, in a foreign land, not even in a hospital, not even a comfortable room, but where there were animals, when there was no place in the inn, she strained to bring this life into the world. But the point is this, is that the God of the universe was born in human form, fully God and fully human. And Jesus, the Christ, uniquely, unlike any other human being that's ever existed, strained throughout his entire life and yet triumphed in every step of the way. You see, he strained to do the will of God the Father, and he always did it. 
He strained to fulfill the law. You know, he said, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. He strained. He strived. He, he worked hard. He did things. He didn't just sit back as a couch potato. No, he, he had action at harm to his reputation. He loved in the way that God longed for people to love. He, he embodied grace. He embodied truth. And so in Jesus' straining, his life never tore. Relationships never tore. His humility never tore. His pride never tore. He lived the most beautiful life that has ever existed. And he didn't just live a perfect life and then just die of old age. And he didn't go to the cross as a victim. He went to the cross doing the will of God the Father. I love how the writer of Hebrews says this. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 gives this imagery of our response to the endurance of Christ. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. I'll come back to this at the very end. How do we do this? By this, we look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to imagine the strain that triumphs, the strain that Jesus went through to not only experience all that ridicule, to experience a physical beating, the strain that Jesus went to when he went onto the cross, the excruciating physical pain that he experienced that scripture says isn't just a physical pain, but it's a spiritual pain because the writer of, uh, of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says this, that, that all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of the punishment of us not measuring up to the law was laid upon Jesus. It was a cosmic strain that was placed upon Jesus. I want you to imagine this. Again, that definition of strain. When there is a, a force, excessive force placed on a thing or a person, the excessive force that was placed on Jesus was the most powerful force outside of God. It was the force of death. It was the force of Satan. It was the force of sin. And all these cosmic forces were raining upon Jesus. And he didn't get down off the cross, though he could have. He didn't ask the angel army to protect him. He stayed on the cross. Think about the strain that he went through to absorb, to take all that was due, the brokenness of humanity. The book of Isaiah says that upon him, all the illness and the heartache of the world was laid upon him all the strain that you've ever experienced in your life, the sum total of all the strain of humanity was placed upon Jesus and he did not break. Because though he died, though he was buried three days later, he rose from the grave triumphing over the strain of death, the strain of sin, the strain of Satan. And this remarkable truth that it isn't religion that gets us into a relationship with God, it is Jesus who gets us into a relationship with God. And this great reminder that when we look and wonder at the strain of Jesus, how he lived the most beautiful, perfect life, that he was just and merciful and humble and forgiving 
and bold and reconciling and joy-filled and peace-filled in ways that we look up to and we admire that no human being can ever measure up to, that we can ever measure up to, when we are filled with wonder at the strain of Jesus, who did all of this out of love for you and me, not because we deserve it, but because we, like every human being on the planet, are simply made in the image of God. And as John 3, 16 says, for God so loved, not just Christians, but for so God loved the world that he gave his only son that so whoever should believe it in him shall have eternal life. And so this great reminder that we have this choice that is set before us. This is the final point. That as we move through our lives, we have an opportunity to rest, to receive, to not strive for, the things that Jesus has already accomplished. Again, the writer of Hebrews, just to come back to it one more time, this great reminder, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. How? By looking to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter, the pioneer of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when you realize that you have an opportunity to receive the strain of Jesus, the perfect record of Jesus, the love of Jesus into your life, you never have to strain for God's love. You never have to strive for God's love you can actually receive it. As the Apostle Paul wrote in the letter to his church in Corinth, that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin for us on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so now that you are loved by God simply because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, now we can run and strive and strain without an anxious heart, but with joy and with love, and with perseverance, because we're simply doing so in response to the love that God has first given us. The Apostle Paul says it a different way, actually in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says this, this is a longer section, I want you to follow this, this is in Philippians chapter 3. After talking about how some people have reason to be confident in their good works, their being confident in their good deeds. This is a, just religiosity. He uses this language and he says that if anybody has reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more. So he begins to, to list his religious credentials because this was his former life before he had an encounter with Jesus. He says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, look, I've, I've tried that life of religiosity, of striving, of straining, of trying to do the thing that God wants me to do so that God would love me. But I had an encounter with Jesus and it changed everything. He goes on. Yet whatever gains I had in the past, these I have come to regard as loss, as rubbish, as trash, as nothing. Why? Because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because 
of the surpassing value of simply knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is now relational language. He's abandoning religion for relationship. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God simply based on faith. Listen to this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, he's pivoted from religion to relationship, and now there is a new striving that is simply based on love, a new striving that simply wants to just grow this relationship, a new striving and a straining that is like somebody who's in love that just wants to be around a friend or someone that they've met that they just are inquisitive about. This young love that Paul wants to grow in his life with Jesus is the invitation and the choice that is set before us today that there is a striving that is based on the triumph of Jesus that doesn't fill you with anxiety, that doesn't fill you with fear, that doesn't uh, turn you into a religious hypocrite like the Pharisees, but ultimately is one that fills you up in such a way that says this, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. He's basically saying we're a people in process. That yes, we strive and yes, we strain just to experience more of God and to be around him more, but we'll never fully arrive. We're on this journey together. So this isn't about being perfect here. This is about just simply being present with the God who already loves us. And he goes on. He says, this is the one thing I do. And I want you to catch this. I want you to make this your mantra, perhaps, in this Christmas season. He says, I want to forget what lies behind. And I want to strain forward to what lies ahead. Again, listen to that. I want to forget what was behind. And I want to strain forward for what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. You see, there is a pivot of straining that is a good strain, that is a strain that is like a mother bringing a child into this world, that is willing to self-sacrifice, that is willing to endure, uh, that is willing to take on physical pain, great discomfort, because there is a greater love that bolsters up inside them and in their heart and in their very body that gives them the strength to endure, to bear up, to not be broken by the weight of that thing that it is. And as we move through our life, there's going to be things that we haven't chosen that either another person or a circumstance or some macro thing or a micro thing happens in our life that will put great strain on us. And if you realize that you have Christ in your life, as your rock, as your sustainer, as your great strength, who says this thing doesn't have the last word in your life. I have the last word in your life. 
when you remember things like Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, when you remember that Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that when you find yourself in certain circumstances and you realize the strain in this moment might tear me, but Jesus is in my life. God, would you give me the strength to navigate this broken relationship, this new diagnosis, this financial reality, this this reality that is pressing upon my life. God, would you give me the strength? Would you rise up in me? Would you carry me through this? I guarantee you, when you cry out to God, who has given a great triumph in your life, nothing will tear you. Nothing will break you apart. And as you move throughout life, realizing that it's all about a relationship, that there's things that you can choose to do by opening up God's word, spending time in worship, not to earn God's love, but just simply to experience this gift that God has given you. I'll kind of end with this. On Christmas Day, people all over the world will open presents. Now, in many ways, there's a bit of a strain that you have to do when you open those presents. Some people, you know, when they wrap those gifts, they put a bow on it and it's, it's a tight bow. It's like triple knotted bow. It's a bit of a strain. And ultimately, the only way you're going to experience that gift is if you put a little bit of work in to open that gift. But at the end of the day, that gift has been given to you. In the same way, there's a gift that has been given to you and it is the fullness of life, life to the full that Jesus has offered through his life and his death and his resurrection. And the rest of our lives is simply opening that gift up, experiencing that in every area of our lives. And we want to be a church that does that journey with you. So as we consider in this season the strain of Christ that defeats death, defeats sin, defeats Satan, we can wonder in it all and follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in this Christmas season, we don't just celebrate Christmas, but we look through Christmas to Easter. And we know that you came onto this planet, the great incarnation, God in the flesh, but we also know that you've defeated death after living the most perfect, beautiful life. May your birth and your death give us a wondrous picture of your love for us, knowing that Jesus, you reign and you long to dwell with us forevermore. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.